a person's name is the most beautiful sound to that person. The number one thing that I tell people, especially when you're getting started, don't worry too much about sending a weekly or monthly newsletter. Podcast, like we're doing right now, Marin, is is conversational, and people forget that. Sometimes when they have the opportunity to be on a show, or maybe they have the opportunity to interview somebody, they get up on a soapbox and they talk for too long. I'm just back from Podcast Movement, and there's probably a lot of reports about industry trends, and new technology, what all the businesses are doing. But what I've brought you here on Grounded Content today are practical tips for you as a content creator and a content strategist. Welcome to Grounded Content. I'm your host, Marian Abrams. Today, I'm bringing you some of the best ideas, tactical tips for you as a content creator, a content strategist, or a solopreneur or entrepreneur trying to get the most out of your content. In this episode, you'll hear from Mark Deal. He's the co-founder of the Podcast Editors Academy. And as an editor, he hears all the mistakes. So I asked him what some of the common mistakes are. We'll hear from Jared Easley. He's the co-founder of Podcast Movement. And he gives some really great advice about building community, about networking with your content. We talked to Kelsey Johnson from AWeber. Many content creators know they should start an email list but it can seem overwhelming. And she has some suggestions for some very simple automations so you can set it and forget it and focus on building your business while your email list begins to grow. Nate Hembrick from Self Publishing School gives some advice about how to think about your first book. My buddy Jay Yao has some technical advice for remote recording that's worth listening to even if you're not a techie. Spencer Carpenter from Outlier Audio, he talks about pitching to be a guest, which we all know is such a great way to build your brand, your personal brand, and get yourself more known, establish yourself as an authority. We talked to Frank and Christina Sasso. They're indie podcasters, and they run New Pod City in New Jersey, their own podcast hosting platform. And last, but definitely not least, is Pat Chung, the founder of Pod Inbox. You may remember I gave him a shout out in my episode from PodFest. This time, I managed to get him on the mic, and he has some really good advice about how to engage your community. And part of that is using his own platform called Pod Inbox. In fact, I would really like you to go to my Pod Inbox site. It's not an ad for Pod Inbox. They're not a sponsor. It's at podinbox.com slash grounded. And you'll see there's a little tab on there that says, ask me anything, and gives you the opportunity to record a message. I would love for you to leave me a message and let me know if any of these tips, if any of these ideas I shared on today's episode are things that you are going to implement on your content. You can also ask me a question just like it says. And the cool thing about this is these files are really easy for me to download and include in future episodes. So if you ask me a question there or you leave me a note there about this show, there's a good chance that I will include it in a future episode. So that, one more time, is podinbox.com slash grounded. All right, let's get to the first interview. I want to start with Jared Easley. I'll be back at the end with my wrap-up, my thoughts about the whole conference and, and about the through lines between all of these tips that can be helpful for you as a content creator. So I just found Jared Easley who is co-founder of Podcast Movement, he had something he wanted to share about a little bit of advice for content creators, for content strategy, practitioners. Yes. So when I first started out, I was waving my arm saying, look at me, look at me, and nobody would look at me. And that was a sad moment. Uh, What I learned from that process was people 
care about what is on their mind and what, what matters to them. And so the more that you can try to be um, considerate of that, if you can, in your mind, let's just say you take just a couple of people and you say, all right, I'm going to really uh, notice them. Uh, instead of me being noticed, I'm going to notice someone else that is the type of person that I want to communicate with and I want to reach out to. And you notice them generously and, and you do it in an authentic way, not a scheming or contriving way, but maybe you like their Facebook post or maybe you, you know, share their podcast episode or maybe you comment on the blog or, or, or whatever it is. Maybe you send them a, just a genuine uh, email of appreciation or something simple. But what happens is, is you just do that consistently. And what happens is more, more people say, I really like Marion. Marion's awesome. Eventually, Marion, it's your turn and you've got this thing that you want to promote. And people are like, you know, I really like Mary, and I'm going to tell people about this. I want to, you know, she's been good to me. Uh, so that's what's called building an army. So you just slowly, uh, you start with maybe two or three, maybe you come compound that, you know, that becomes five, ten, you know, within reason. But you slowly just start building what I call the army. So when you're waving your arm saying, notice me, most people won't. But if you have an army of people saying, we love Marion, then people are going to be like, I need to check out Marion. Well, how do you do that? You first start by noticing them in a genuine way. That creates rapport, and then over time, rapport that's consistent will create reciprocity. So I think a lot of people say, you know, I'm just going to wave my arms and throw a bunch of money at Facebook ads, and good luck to them. But uh, if you're creating genuine community and you really want people to care about something that, that is important to you, you got to start by caring about what's important to them. I love that you included genuine in there because I think that's the part a lot of people get wrong when they try to follow the formula. And I think it's accurate. I mean, here I am at your conference. We got a thousand people here. It's an incredible event. And you just took time to sit down with me and ask me what I need, how my career is going, what I'm looking for. And that's powerful. I mean, that, that makes me want to work with you. I feel appreciated. So you're actually living what you're talking. Well, that was not <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> I actually do care about how you're doing. So uh, people are like, oh, he's trying to work Marion. No, I really, I really do like Marion. Uh, but, but yeah, that is, that is very important. You want to be sincere and, and just, um, you know, be, be thoughtful. And that goes a long way. And people remember that. Uh, so I, I hope uh, people consider that. And then those that apply that, they'll, they'll start to see, you know, more and more people take interest. Um, you don't do it for vanity or for ego. You do it because you want to try to be considerate and thoughtful to people, but that does come back to you. I love that. Jared, anything you want to mention or where people can find you? Obviously, they should all come to this conference, but anything anything else you want to say? Oh, well, I think the first thing you should do is check out what Marion's up to. You should be at madmotion.com. Uh, after that, then, yeah, if you want to check out podcastmovement.com, that's where, that's where we have our event stuff. So, Thank you, Jared. It's so easy to think that the best thing to do is just wave your arms and say, look at me. Jared is right on. Next up, Spencer Carpenter from Outlier Audio. You know, if you've listened to this show, we've had a lot of conversations about what a good pitch sounds like. And we've talked to a lot of podcasters who have different opinions. And in fact, next week, we're going to talk to Rena Friedman Watts, who is an amazing guest booker, about her thoughts on it. But here's what Spencer Carpenter has to say. So I just ran into Spencer Carpenter from Outlier Audio, and I asked him if he would give me his three top tips for pitching yourself to be a guest on a podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Just uh, three tips off the bat. Uh, you know, First, make your, your subject line as memorable as possible. They don't care about your name because they don't know who you are yet. So do not lead with that. You can put your name at the end, but make the subject what you want them to catch. 
Then the first two or three sentences of the email, are you saying why you should be on the show? What makes you different? What you're going to talk about that someone else hasn't talked about? You don't say, I hope you're well. They'll see through that. Don't, don't start leading off with your background because they don't know who you are yet. They don't know why they should care. Tell them why you should be on the show and then lead with everything else. Because if they're interested, they will read the rest of the bio. But if you didn't catch them first, they won't. And then it comes down to making sure that what you have is not something that people have already talked about. You cannot pitch yourself to a show saying you want to talk about sales. You want to talk about marketing. You want to talk about lead. Uh, you need to tell them what is you're doing that specific. So I want to talk about sales coming from this angle, or I want to talk about marketing using AI technology that's been developed exclusively by so-and-so. That is what's going to get people to care about what you have to say. So when you're choosing shows to pitch, do you have criteria? What do you look for in shows that you are pitching for people to be guests on? It really depends on the client. They kind of sometimes have to take what they can get. But if, if it's a financial planner and the podcast is called Financial Planning Podcast, I don't care if it has one review and 10 listeners. For SEO purposes, it's exactly what you want to see that person associated with. For someone that's a little more established, obviously you want to see that they've done at least a few dozen episodes. You want to see that the art looks professional, the audio sounds good. And I'm not a big fan of shows that ask the same questions over and over. There are some shows that succeed with that just fine, but I'd like to see that the host is trying even if it's completely organic, that they're trying to have a conversation that you know the, the client isn't already had. I want my clients to be able to have different conversations each time they do an interview, not the same thing over and over. Thank you. Whether you're guesting or you're hosting, whether you're doing a live stream, a YouTube show, or a podcast, there's a good chance there's remote recording involved. I don't know about you, but when I go to a conference... I usually find a couple of conference buddies. They're the people that I hang out with, know I can count on for a cup of coffee during the conference when I just need a little downtime. And Jay Yao is one of those people. He's my conference buddy. He's also the engineer and a producer for The James Altucher Show. And he had a presentation he gave at Podcast Movement about remote recording. The presentation got a little bit into the weeds, but I asked him for his three main pieces of advice for those of you who are having to deal with remote recording to make sure you get it right. Okay, so my name is Jay. I produce for this small show called The James Altucher Show. And I do a lot of post-productions, so I like to clean up audio. Jay, what are some things, maybe three things, that people can do? Because so many of us are like, I'm a podcast editor, but I am not an audio engineer. So what are a couple of things that people can do to improve the quality of their sound? First and foremost, the microphone. Microphone is very important. Like, if you're using a Blue Yeti in a non-treated room, non-treated, which means that's no soundproofing or whatsoever... It's going to sound really bad. So if you're doing interview podcasts, if you want to spend a lot of money, spend $69.99 to get a Samsung Q2U. It's a USB microphone, and that will improve your sound a lot. And also, if you're recording a podcast, the other cheapest thing you could do is get there as early as possible. So let's say your podcast is starting at 12 o'clock. Get there at 11.30. If you're doing remote recording, get there at like 11.45 because you get there early, then you can make sure the platform is working. If the platform is not working, then you have to think about how to, like the backup. You know, you have to get a Zoom or you get to use Skype, whatever. The third thing, 
headphones, wear headphones, any headphones. It's free. You buy a phone, headphones come with it. It's free. You buy a if you, if you don't have headphones, next time you travel, go on to the the airline. Just say, hey, I need a headphones, and it's free. You know, and that that's that's your that's your headphones right there. I have a follow up question. So Samsung Q2U is great. What if somebody already has a really expensive microphone, but they don't sound good? Go back to your manual. Read the manual. Learn how to operate the microphone. Thank you, Jay. That was awesome. If we go in terms of increasing content density, we could probably start with tweets, go through TikTok videos, onto YouTube videos, into podcasting conversations, and end up with books. I asked Nate Hambrick from Self Publishing Institute how people should think about getting into their first book. What are the questions you should ask yourself before you start writing? The most important thing authors need to realize when they're writing a book is that their book is not about them. They have to create something useful for someone else. So if they're writing a nonfiction book, the way that we like to start, you know, all of our books out with is what problem are you helping the reader solve? Are you helping them grow a business? Are you helping them get through a hard time? Are you teaching them how to paint? Solve someone's problem. Make sure that it's something people actually want. And if you're writing a fiction novel, you're going to need to understand what are called tropes. Tropes are well-established, common patterns of writing. And so whatever specific niche within fiction you are, you're going to have to understand what people are subconsciously looking for. Otherwise, you're going to write a book that nobody wants. Remember, it's not about what you want to write about. It's about what the other person wants. And people vote with their wallets. So how do you help people determine, you know, where that line is between what they're expert in or what they have experience or interest in and what the world needs or wants? Well, ultimately, you do your best and then you test the market. One of the things that we ask a lot of authors is, what are people constantly coming to you for advice on? That's a great place to start. But ultimately, everyone, I mean, hopefully everyone has at least one or two or three or five things that they're really good at. That would be a really good place to start. And then as you develop that concept, make sure that you're focusing on tangible things that really help people. And to add to that, when you write a book description or the way that you position your book, make sure that you're not just blabbering on, that you're giving concrete, actionable things that they will get from your book. Last question. Do you start with the title or do you start with the content? You can go both ways, but most of the time you're going to start with the content and then ultimately you're going to work on the title and subtitle. And we recommend for most books that you favor clarity over cleverness. A lot of people love these clever titles and there's nothing wrong with that, except that a lot of them, if you're too clever, people won't know what the book's about and any confusion will cause you to not sell your book well. That's great. Thank you. If you're not ready for a book, maybe an email list. We all know we should have one. We should own our audience. This is common knowledge if you're in the content space. Platforms, no matter how good they are, don't give us direct connections to our audience in the way that an email list does. But an email list can feel overwhelming. How do you keep up with an email newsletter? Kelsey Johnson from AWeber had a couple of tips to automate your programming in the beginning. Set it and forget it so that you can focus on building your business and building your list. And then eventually, when you're geared up for it, dig deeper 
into your email campaigns. So I ran into Kelsey Johnson from AWeber at her booth or at the AWeber booth. And I asked her, what is it that content creators need to know about working with email lists? Okay, so I've got a little bit of bad news here. When you are a content creator and you put your content out there, whether it's on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, any of those platforms, you do not actually own your audiences there. When people subscribe, when people follow you, that's amazing. It's wonderful for gathering awareness and obviously creating content, which is what you do as your main job. But it's really important to move as much of that audience as you can to email. Because when you have someone's email address and you have their name, you are able to contact them when say something happens to your audience on YouTube, when you get dinged for some reason on TikTok, you always have your audience in email, no matter what platform you use. And it's one of the best ways to connect with every single person in your audience. So let's talk about next level. I have an email list. I've been collecting names. What are some of the best practices around managing that list, keeping that list active, getting the most out of it? The uh, number one thing that I tell people, especially when you're getting started, don't worry too much about sending a weekly or monthly newsletter. That is an extra task on your plate that I promise you will get pushed to the bottom and then will eventually not get done. I always recommend set up an automated funnel, set up a flow at the very beginning. And there's two things this automation can do. The one thing it can do is welcome people to your list. So as soon as they get added to your list, you have a series of emails that send out automatically. You set it up once, they send out automatically every time. And you can let people know about, say, anything that you sell, affiliate links, uh, memberships to stuff that you have, behind the scenes content, really get them involved with you as a person and, uh, you know, with your whole deal. Um, the second thing you can set up is notifications that go out automatically when you post new content. And if you're doing both of those things, especially at the beginning of your email journey, you can kind of take a step back and focus on creating content while the automated emails are going out. All right. Last question. What's one of the most common mistakes you see people make with their email list? There are two main mistakes that I see that are kind of opposite. The one mistake I see is people sending too many emails that are all the same. If you send the same email out a bunch of times to your list, I mean, think about getting an email like that. You're going to unsubscribe. You're not going to care. The second mistake I see is people being too afraid to send emails at all when they have a list. So don't be afraid to send out new emails. Just make sure each one has an individual value that people are going to get from receiving it. Do you have any thoughts or like data on the difference between like information based email versus personality based email content? I think that both can be included in the same email. I always say, especially for content creators, the reason that people follow you is your personality. So talk in your personality, throw out all of the blog posts, all of the rules about how you should write an email and just be yourself. Uh, information, if you are a person who provides information, put it in all of your emails. That's what people want to hear. If you're a person who provides entertainment, don't worry that much about the information. Just do you. That was awesome. Thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me on. I love podcast editors. They're my people. Mark Deal is the co-founder of the Podcast Editors Academy. I know him because they gave a great program at PodFest this year with a ton of hands-on live demo sessions. In fact, I gave one of those demonstrating how podcast editors can edit using Premiere Pro. I run through a basic edit and some quick tips on doing a TikTok or real video to promote your show. If you want to see that one, 
drop me a note. In fact, you could probably leave me a message on Pod Inbox at podinbox.com slash grounded. Anyway, editors see all the mistakes. So I asked him what some of the common ones are. So I just found Mark. He's a guru to podcast editors. I asked him, what do you see that works well that people do in terms of presenting information? Specifically for the podcast, uh, because it's the only medium that I really know of where people are consuming information away from their TV or away from a screen. And there's so many things where you're consuming information from a screen. That being said, podcast, like we're doing right now, man, is, is conversational. And people forget that. Sometimes when they have the opportunity to be on a show or maybe they have the opportunity to interview somebody, they get up on a soapbox and they talk for too long. So I think people should try to limit their responses to 90 seconds or less. Keep a conversational back to the other person. And you want to bring the the listener with you along that journey. So everyone crosses the finish line together, the host, the guest, and the listener. I love that because one of my pieces of advice for podcast guesting is your first answer should be maybe two or three sentences. It shouldn't be yes or no, but you also should not like go way down some route that may turn out to be completely the wrong direction, right? I, I totally agree. I also hate uh, before they do those two or three questions, they say, that's a great question. <laughs> I'm sure you've never heard that before. I was with a bunch of podcasters yesterday and someone asked me a question and I said that and they all like cracked up and looked at me. <laughs> I was like, oh, rookie mistake. I agreed. Agreed. It, I sometimes I hear myself do my own flubs, the umrahs, as we call it in the podcast production business, the um umrah. When I hear myself say it, as well as some other crutch words that I won't say, because once you say it, and you even us, we we hear them come out of our mouth. You can't stop it. Uh, so yeah, it happens to the best of us. So for those of you that are worried that it may happen to you, those of us have been doing a decade or even longer, like yourself, uh, we just did. Oh, there. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, listener? I'm bad at this. It happens to all of us. Just do it. No one cares. Hopefully you don't. Thank you, Mark. So where can people find out more about your stuff? Uh, I'm various places. I run Podcast Atlanta. I run Podcast Guest Academy, as well as Podcast Editor Academy, co-founder with Steve Stewart, where we help editors or the podcast post-production to start, build, and grow their podcast post-production business so they can serve as many podcasters as possible. Pat Chung is coming. He's going to talk about some clear calls to action and how to really build community. And again, this is not an ad, and I will wrap up with my thoughts about all of this at the end. But next, here's Frank and Christine Sasso. I found an open spot on the conference floor where I could stand at a table and drink my coffee. I had no idea who I was standing next to. It turned out to be Frank and Christine. And here's a little bit of our conversation and their advice for growing a podcast audience. There's two lessons for you here. One is the information they give about growing a podcast audience, but the second is about keeping an open mind and staying curious, because I never would have had this conversation if they hadn't started chatting with me when I showed up with my cup of coffee. So I ended up in exactly the right place, drinking my coffee, waking up this morning. So who am I standing with now? Well, you came over to us. You weren't standing somewhere. No, but I didn't know who you were. I needed a table for my cup of coffee. Fine. Still doesn't change anything. You came to us. You see what I mean? These are the right people. I mean, I'm having a great conversation with them. My name is Frank Sasso. I am one of the owners of New Pod City, which is the only podcast hosting company in New Jersey. And I'm Christina Sasso, host of many podcasts, but especially Bella and me. You run a hosting company. You run a podcasting network. So what's your biggest piece of advice for someone who has a podcast already, but is trying to grow it? 
Well, when you say grow it, are you talking monetarily growing it, uh, listener base growing it, uh, growing the brand, like be more aware of the brand that they exist? What, what, what do you this is this is a perfect question. I, this is why I can tell you're the right guy to ask this. Let's pick growing the, the podcast audience because I think that's one of the most common questions and that will help grow the brand usually. I understand it's more complicated than that, but let's just talk about growing your podcast listenership. Okay, listenership, I mean, and then there's a multitude. This is not the like only thing, but it's, it's one of the things. One of the things that I've found is that people love recognition. Maybe you do once a month, you do a question and answer kind of a thing where you put your email out there, Twitter, IG, whatever, Facebook, whatever kind of social media you want to use, uh, and you gather questions from listeners. And then you pick maybe five questions a month to, to read. And you say the person's name because the person's name is the most beautiful sound to that person. So if they say, oh, uh, this one's coming from Mary from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, she writes in, uh, uh, hey, um, how do you get the idea for your show? And then you answer the question. You keep saying the person's name in your answer. Now that person is now going to tell all their friends Hey, listen to this episode. They, they read my, my email on it and they now start listening. And I've heard a stat. I don't know if this holds true in that kind of scenario, but I've heard a stat that if you get new people to come in, I mean, assuming, I guess it depends on the quality of the show, but when you advertise your show or you do cross promotions or things like that, usually about 2% is a safe number to say that they will stay and listen for more shows afterwards. So Christina. Do you have a tip for someone trying to grow their podcast? I will be short and sweet. Just be yourself. Really? I know it sounds corny and ridiculous. Frank was just telling me about your show that you co-host and how you had developed your characters in a way that was natural, but it actually became sort of the thing that the show is known for and what makes people keep coming back. Do you want to tell me that story? So Trenton Waves, um, we co-host together, and it really, our style came from being married for 25 years and knowing each other for over 30 years. And we just, again, as I said, we are just ourselves. And it evolved into that after trying to be very professional. And we just became who we are instead. And people enjoy the banter that we have and who Frank is with the list, with the guest and who I am with the guest. And by the way, I actually think that is professional because you're hosting a better show that way. Well, thank you guys both for joining me on Grounded Content. Last but not least, Pat Chung from Pod Inbox, who talks about how to engage your audience and how to have some really clear, specific calls to action that will help you do that. Yeah, so that's what I spoke on at the conference here, talked about activating your audience. And, um, you know, even Pat Flynn talks about this. I don't know if you guys heard of um, him, but he has a whole book called Superfans, is have some call to action at, at all times. And not just a weak call to action. We always teach, has a, have a call to action that has a very public payoff. So one of the things I illustrate is a lot of people's call to action is follow me on Instagram. But, you know, for people who are listening to that call to action, there's no payoff other than, you know, following another person. But maybe here's a little bit better tweak on that is like, Hey, you know, let's say you have a podcast. We, we talk to podcasters a lot. It's like, Hey, well, I just want to shout out our last five instagram followers you know fan one fan two fan three and you give them a shout out with their handle and then if you're listening to that you know you know you're gonna probably be more compelled to follow because there's a payoff of like getting a shout out on on that show so yeah we teach you know things like that it's like you know 
audience engagement is so important. And that first step of activating is so important. Just make sure you have a really clear and compelling call to action. So you're doing a really good job of not pitching your own business, but you've led into it really well. So tell people what Pod Inbox is and what how that kind of works into activating your audience. Sure. Well, we have a ton of uh, features around having a fan page, but one of our core features that we started with was uh, we have a feature where your fans could leave you audio messages. So we, we teach this payoff a lot. So you not only collect their audio messages, and a lot of the users that we have, uh, you know, field fan questions, uh, fan, and they feature fan stories. But the, one of the things we do uh, uniquely in, in our product is you could download that audio clip from your fan and actually feature it on your show if you have a podcast, if you're a creator that has a podcast. Uh, versus, you know, you, you might have seen this before where uh, the host reads, you know, the, the fan tweet or something. That's fine too, but it's a little bit less boring and it's not as, you know, exciting as hearing your own voice. And also just even the content-wise, um, what creators are doing now, especially podcasters, is they don't want that monotone voice on the podcast. They want to hear other voices, like even what you're doing right now. I know you're going to turn this into an Instagram, you know, reel or something. It's like someone else's voice other than yours, which is kind of exciting, right? So before we wrap up, tell me about your podcast. Oh, yeah. My podcast is called Podcast Growth Hacks, where I interview other podcasters to learn what they did to grow their show. So uh, it's just kind of getting started. Uh, we have a you know, couple months worth of episodes, but it's a weekly episode where I interview podcasters. Thank you. So one more time, if you found one of these tips or insights helpful and you think you're going to use it, I would love for you to leave me a message on my Pod Inbox page. It's podinbox.com slash grounded. I haven't set it up to receive money yet. Although if you watch my Instagram, you'll see that Pat specifically told me that's what I should be doing. Maybe I'll do that next. So I promised my big takeaways from the conference. And here they are. First, it's still all about your community and your audience. How can you serve them? How can you speak to them? How can you elevate your craft to do that more effectively? The platforms do vary. What you do for TikTok is different than what you do on Twitter. What you do on a live stream on Twitch is different from what you might do on a podcast or a YouTube video or in a book or an email list. But the essentials are the same. Try to understand what your audience wants from you. What's the value you bring? And that term value is often misunderstood. Value doesn't always mean money or information. Value could be humor, company, inspiration, motivation, creative inspiration, community. Value could be a good laugh, friendship, but try to understand why your listeners are there and give them more of it. And this is where data can be helpful, whether it's anecdotal feedback from someplace like Pod Inbox or whether it's looking deeply at the statistics on your platform to understand what's the average consumption rate. Are people staying with the full episode because they find it super engaging? 
Or are they leaving soon after they arrive? Are there certain titles or thumbnails or episode subjects or guests that get a lot more traction? Your audience is speaking to you by telling you those things. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grounded Content Podcast. I so appreciate you all. And I appreciate Lena for stepping in and editing this episode. I'm going to be experimenting with a couple of different editors, which I think will be really fun for the show. I know the show has been a little quiet for a while, but I've got some great guests lined up and I'm really excited about it. So please make sure you've clicked that follow button or engaged in whatever way you do so that you will be back for the next episode. All right. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.